Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. It is time for us to conclude our Tech Stuff Classic series where we were looking at the rise and fall of Atari. So two weeks ago, we did part one. Last week, we did part two. This week, we did part three. This is all assuming that I don't change the actual order of uh, classic episodes, which I have been known to do. I record these way in advance, so who knows? But anyway, this particular episode was originally published on March 9th, 2015. The Rise and Fall of Atari Part 3. Hope you enjoy. There could be seven, eight episodes where we talk about all the things that were going on. There were yeah. incredible political moves going on behind the scenes. There was some amazing technological development. We haven't really touched on the major competitors with Atari that were causing extra problems for them, like, uh, uh, you know, the early on the Intellivision and Coleco. But then later on, we're talking Nintendo and Sega yeah. and then Sony with the PlayStation. I mean, by that time, Atari is pretty much out of the picture anyway. But, I mean, it's just so much to talk about. I found some some websites that even broke it down into when Atari hired people. And I'm not talking about the big names we've mentioned. Right. 
I'm talking about like Marty and accounting. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was phenomenal. The documentation that's out there. Oh yeah. So uh, we're going to now pick up in 1984. Uh, that tells you how detailed we've been. If you haven't heard the first two episodes in this series, go back, listen to those first. It's an amazing story. So 1984 is when something happens to Atari that redefines everything. And some people consider this yet another death of the company. That's when Warner, which had purchased Atari from Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari, Warner splits Atari into two entities. One of it, one of them is a home computing division, which is called the uh, Atari Corporation. Yeah. And the other is the arcade division, which is called Atari Games. And it sells off the home computing division. So Atari Corporation gets sold to a man named Jack Tramiel. Yeah, he was the original founder of uh, Commodore. Yep. Uh, and the famous Commodore 64 computer, which yep. was great for its time. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, there's a full Tech Stuff episode about Commodore it, uh, published on February 1st, 2012. Ooh, I'll have to listen to that. It's good. Yeah. It, it was it was fun to talk about that, too, to talk about the development of the, the Commodore system. So Tramiel was another another pioneer in personal computing and home electronics, and he saw some promise in that home computing division of Atari, something that after the video game crash of 1983, a lot of people thought had no value whatsoever. Yeah, he renamed it, uh, I think he renamed it the Atari Corporation, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He decided to call it that because uh, obviously, you know, you, now you have two separate entities that both have the Atari name in them. Yeah, which is always confusing in the marketplace. And it's going to be confusing in this episode because we're going to be talking about the fate of both of them. Right. So we're going to follow both the fate of the Atari Corporation and the fate of Atari Games. So Atari Games at in 1984 was still with Warner. Not for long. Not for long. Uh, in fact, 1985 would be when that changes. So 1985, some big stuff happens in home video games. That's when the Famicom, also known as Nintendo Entertainment System, mm -hmm. is released in the United States. Yeah, which was uh, a body blow. Oh, yeah. They used the nomenclature. <laughs> nice. <laughs> to Mike Atari. Tyson's punch out right yeah. there. Um, yeah, so that was something that convinced people... Maybe home video games aren't as dead as we thought they were. Because the video game crash, we pretty much thought, that's it. Personal computers are going to take over. There won't be any home consoles dedicated to video games anymore because that idea played itself out. Yeah, Apple's on the scene at this point. Yeah. Making a stink. Yeah, in fact, by by 1985, they're, they're selling the Macintosh because that came out in 84. Yeah. So they, they've moved beyond. Really sure. Yeah. But the the... Brilliant thing Nintendo did was they learned from Atari's mistakes. They said, all right, well, we are going to license games. Like, they, they have to be certified yeah. by us. You can't develop for Nintendo independently without submitting the game for us for certification. That way we still have some control over yeah, what gets what on our system. Yeah, Atari and Warners wanted, but they didn't get out ahead of it no. in time like Nintendo did. No, Act Activision pretty much doomed Atari because Activision yep. set that, that precedent that a third-party developer can can create uh, cartridges for another platform that they don't own. Yeah. And once that precedent was set and that policy wasn't in place, it was it was game on, literally, for everybody who wanted to develop for Atari. Yeah, and pardon my ignorance, because I'm not a current gamer. I'm still stuck in the 80s. Sure. Uh, Activision's still around, right? Uh-huh. Well, it, it's part of something bigger, but yes. Okay. But they, yeah. they survived everything and did well for themselves. Well, I mean... I could do a full episode on what happened to Activision too. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like Atari, you know how Atari 
technically still exists today. Okay, gotcha, <laughs> so gotcha. uh, at any rate, um, uh, also in 1985, that's when Warner Communications sells the arcade division of Atari Games to a competitor, Namco. Yes. So that's the company that that developed Pac-Man. Yeah, Namco only owned it for about a year, uh, and then some employees uh, bought Atari games from Namco. Yep. And then uh, made a few more pretty good arcade games. Uh, Paperboy, I know, was a big one. Gauntlet. Yeah, Gauntlet was oh, a big one. Wizard needs food yeah. badly. <laughs> good games. So they pumped a little more uh, lifeblood into the Atari games division. Yeah, they also started to develop home games. But here's the thing. When Warner split it up between uh, Atari Corporation and Atari Games, Atari Corporation had the sole right to sell home games under the Atari brand. Yeah, which they had already proved to struggle post-2600 yeah. without a really great solid follow-up. The 5200 right. didn't, didn't go over so didn't well. Didn't jump over, yeah. And then you've got... Atari games that was making these, these arcade games and they wanted to make home video games, but they couldn't do it under the Atari brand because that belonged to Atari Corporation. So yeah. they created a new brand called Tengen, T-E-N-G-E-N. Right. Which also comes from a, uh, uh, an aspect of the old board game Go. Oh, really? So the both Atari, Atari and Tengen, the game, the, the board game, the Japanese yeah. board game Go or the to play Asian that. game. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's, um, in fact, there's a great story that, uh, going way back to the first episode, we talked about the, the founders of Atari. They used to play Go in their office, which was an office that was originally meant for one person, but two people had to share it. Right. So, uh, they would play games of Go in between actually getting any work done. Oh, uh, although according to, uh, Ted, Mr. Nolan never really actually did any work as far as he could tell. <laughs> Uh. But then remember, he had a lot of sour grapes uh, for legitimate reasons. So if you notice what's going on now is Atari, um, the corporation, is getting really fractured. Yeah. Um, their home computer business with the 400 and 800 were doing okay. Yeah. But they were behind the curve, yeah. uh, so to speak. And they, they were playing catch up. They were announcing a new computer system, the Atari ST. They did that at the winter CES. I did an episode about CES once where I explained this, but once upon a time, there were two big CES events. One happened in the winter yeah. and one happened in the summer. And uh, now there's only the winter version. But uh, so this, this was back when there were still two. And at winter CES, they announced Atari ST. The ST stands for 16 slash 32 which refers to the microprocessor and its internal and external bus connections. But anyway, it had 512 kilobytes of RAM. Yeah, smoking fast. Yeah, and uh, it could be expanded up to four megabytes, so there's that. And it had a graphical user interface, so GUI, uh, or GUI if you prefer. Once the whole GIF-GIF thing came out, yeah, it messes everything <laughs> up. I always say GUI. Because GUI does not sound like it's appropriate to me. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I've, At any rate, GUI's nice. We'll go with GUI. Uh, I think that's the the Preferred. more than more than uh, overwhelming choice. It also had a uh, a floppy disk drive, and it would and be, a cartridge drive. Yes, so it had both. Yeah, and it would be produced up until the early 1990s. Yeah, and it was the cheapest 16-bit computer. Um, and like like you said, if it was around to the 1990s, it, it did okay. Yeah, in fact, in in Europe, it did pretty well. Uh, here in the United States, it did okay, and in Europe, it did it did better. Um, and then we've got 
the Atari Corporation releasing the Atari 7800 Pro system in 1986. So the 5200 had come out, and then the 7800 comes out. It had digital joysticks rather than the older analog type. Yeah, and the 7800 had a weird little story in that it was uh, manufactured and then shelved yeah. in a warehouse, basically, for, um, I'm not really sure how long. Two years. Yeah, yeah two years. They basically were just going to sit on it. Yeah. And then finally, they said, well... The decision was really as arbitrary as, like, let's just sell these things. Yeah. Yeah. They released like a couple of early models, uh, in that two year period, but they, like you were saying, they didn't sell it. Like it, people talk about it being, uh, uh, re-debuted or reintroduced, but it never was fully introduced in the first place. So, yeah. but one cool thing about it was it was backwards compatible with almost all 2600 games. Uh, yeah. That's so that's kind of neat. You know, it's better than the 5200. Um, and yeah, it, it ended up, uh, not really competing very well against the Nintendo Entertainment System. It would only be produced until 1991 or supported until 1991. That's when Atari announced that it would no longer, um, produce games or consoles for yeah. the 7800. There was also the 2600 Junior, a companion yeah. model to the 7800. And that's true. Basically, the the public at this point, uh, Nintendo fever had struck, and Sega uh, started to come out with their systems, and Atari was just kind of sadly uh, lost in the shuffle there as far as the home systems go. Yeah, if your if your mascot wasn't a little Italian plumber, yeah, you were out of luck. We'll be back with more about Atari after this quick break. Working remotely. Where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I got to have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed, and I'd be lost without my smartphone. In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town. I use my smartphone to look up things to do or, most importantly, where to eat. In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. 
a spirit of adventure lives inside of us. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into actual rubber-meets-the-road-into-the-wild, true-blue-real-life adventure. You just need a Nissan and a plan. Or better yet, just a Nissan. You can hop into a Nissan Rogue and discover what comes next. Don't worry, the Nissan Rogue has your back. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. No matter where you roam, you'll stay connected to home. Life is one huge adventure, and every day is a little one. No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So, 1987, Atari would release the Atari XE video game system, a.k.a. the Atari XEGS, which was based off the 8-bit computers Atari had previously created. Um, so think of like the 5200 was kind of the video game console of the 400, 800-bit or 400, 800 uh, Atari computers. Yeah. This one was the next generation. It was based off the next generation of those same home computers. Yeah, there was confusion in the marketplace. And I think confusion within Atari. I don't yeah. think they even knew what kind of company they were at this point. No, I, I don't think so. And this one actually had one game hard-coded into it. Oh, really? So the Atari, uh, you could play other games, like you could get the, the discs for other games and play them. But it had one game that was hard-coded into it, and that was Missile Command. Oh, nice. So it's not a bad choice. Sure. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, again, one of those things where you might feel that Atari didn't have a clear vision for what its place was. Things no. just seemed kind of muddy. They were floundering. And in 1989, they would release the 520 STE and the 1040 STE models of its home computer, uh, which had an increased color palette and a graphics processor, a, a dedicated yeah. co-processor for the graphics. Which is something that's common now, but at the time was pretty new. Yeah, so they, I mean, they were they were doing some of the right things on the home computer front, but there was just so much more competition now. Yeah, it, you had you had Apple, you had the IBM compatibles, and you had yeah. IBM. Uh, plus, the Amiga was still out there. Um, Can't forget about the Amiga. No, <laughs> I, I had a friend who was a diehard Amiga fan, and I gotta admit, the Amiga, the thing I loved about the Amiga was that well before anyone else. It was doing amazing sound and graphics. Yeah. Like m years before anyone else had managed to do that in an affordable way. And uh, so I remember my friend had several games for the Amiga that I found to be like light years beyond anything I could play on my Apple IIe or my 286 at home. Um, so uh, but the, the, the CPU on these devices had a blistering speed of eight megahertz. <laughs> wow. And we're talking about the multiple gigahertz now and uh, yeah, it's a little little slow on that one. In fact my phone is way faster than that. Um <laughs> but in nineteen eighty nine that's also when Atari Corporation acquired the right to manufacture and sell a handheld gaming console that had been developed by a different company. Yeah, the Lynx. Yeah. This thing was great. Yeah, the Lynx was really cool. It had been developed by a company called Epyx, E-P-Y-X, but Epyx had entered financial difficulty. 
And it owed a lot of money to various companies. The largest that it owed money to was Atari. Actually, the largest amount it owed was to Atari. Yeah. And so they had this kind of settlement to say, like, well, how are we going to make good on this? Because Epix is on the verge of, of just disappearing. And as part of the deal, essentially they signed over this this handheld gaming system they had been developing, and that became the Atari Lynx. Yeah, um, and the Lynx was great. I remember I had a couple of friends that had it. It um it it was released around the same time as the Game Boy, but yep. it had full color graphics. Yep. It looked better. It yep. sounded better. You could link them together. Yeah, you could link them together. It was it was sort of large. Um, it was yeah. it had a horizontal, um, I guess, body. Yeah. Um, so it, it was big, which it, wasn't great. It was a little ungainly. The battery life would only last four to five hours, so that was kind of frustrating because this is. This is not the era of rechargeable batteries for most people. Yeah. You were popping out old ones and replacing them with new ones, so that could get really frustrating. But uh, the one thing Lynx did not have was a game called Tetris. Yeah. And that is what basically was the death blow to the Lynx. Tetris Tetris was was such a huge deal. It was the killer app. Yep, it was the killer app, and it's what made Game Boy what it was. And I got the Game Boy because of Tetris. And then by 1991, like you would think that, well, maybe if they can stick it out, then the Lynx will have a chance because the Nintendo Game Boy, once everyone's got that, they'll see that the Lynx has got uh, uh, better stats and maybe they'll go with that. But then in 91, Sega came out with the Game Gear and Sega was already doing really good business too, and that just that just meant that the Lynx had no place yeah. in that competition. I, I feel bad for Atari at this point because they're coming up with superior products in certain cases and yeah. still can't get market share. It's either bad timing or it's a combination of bad timing and a lack of a compelling library to yeah. get those games. It really shows how you need to have strong launch titles to move a console. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than just like, this has the best graphics. In fact, you know, going into personal account here, I don't own a current generation game. I love gaming. I I consider myself to be a gamer. I'm not a hardcore gamer. And certainly, I'm sure any of my listeners listening could beat me at any game of their choice. (laughs) So I don't want to, I don't want to put that out there. But, but I will say that I love gaming, but I haven't, purchased an Xbox One or a PS4 because we're finally at a point now where it's different. But for the longest time, the libraries weren't compelling enough for me to make that investment. Yeah. Right. So I I would think, yes, it's clearly superior to the system I have now, but the games aren't games that I want to play yet. I want to wait until there are enough games that I want to play to justify that expense. And now we're at that point. I just haven't well, for one thing, I'm not allowed to have a present for another year and a half. <laughs> I have a two year, two year period where I can't get presents, or at least my wife won't buy me presents for a good reason. And it's not a bad one. It's that I made a substantial donation to a nonprofit. And in return, the agreement was two years, no presents. Nice. <laughs> You're a good man. Oh. Here's my deal with gaming now is I, uh, played Nintendo and stuff through the, the, through the 64 in college. Yeah. Was way into it and then sort of dropped out for a long time. Yeah. Until my stepfather, I'm sorry, my uh, father-in-law gave me his PS3 mm. a couple of years ago because he just didn't want it. Right. And um, since then I buy like, I just look up once a year and buy like the two best reviewed games of the year. Yeah. 
and I'll play those for about a month, and then that's it. Well, we don't have the time to devote to gaming no, anymore, man. Chuck. I'm 43 years old. I've, you know, I'm trying I, to fix up my house. I know. I've got a house. i got a puppy. i I got four animals in I, my house. Yeah, we've gotten to a point. Well, we're obviously getting a little off topic, but it's true. Like We, we just have reached a point in our lives where- No, you just can't game like yeah. that anymore. I bought, I bought The Last of Us. Oh, fantastic game. Fantastic game. But see, I still have that gamer in me because I was addicted to this game. Yeah. Um, And then I bought one of the uh, Bio... uh, Oh, Bioshock? Bioshock, the the, the steampunk one. Right. So Bioshock Infinite? Yeah. Yeah. That one. And I played that one through, and that was really great, too. The music in that game is amazing. Yeah, and and that's the extent of my gaming now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hear you. In two years, I'll buy the best two games, although after (laughs) The Last of Us... I don't. I mean, I don't see how you can get any better. Than uh, it game. was a very emotionally impactful game. One yeah, of the I mean, best right up my alley. Uh, so, 1990. Yeah, back to the. Now you get back to Atari. <laughs> yeah. <sorry. laughs> no, I love doing this. I would just com- totally continue on that conversation otherwise. But no, 1990. There's only one thing I have to mention, which is that Atari Corporation released the Atari TT030 or 030. Never heard of it. It's a workstation. Oh, really? It was 32 megahertz processor workstation. So they were still staying in the home computer business at that point. That's trying really, to. Yeah, they're they're trying to hang in there. Uh, and I don't have any notes for 91, but in 92... <laughs> That's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. In 92, Atari Corporation would release the Falcon, which would be the last of its computer systems. The Falcon was the last time they tried to do a home computer, and then they made the decision to switch back to trying to do video game consoles again. So 1993, that's why we see the release of the Atari Jag- Jaguar, if you want to go with the uh, British pronunciation. Yeah, Jaguar. And, and again, Atari is doing the right thing. They're ahead of the curve. It's the first 64-bit yes. system. Yeah, so, it's, so it is graphically, and uh, as far as the processor goes, more powerful than any of the competitors on the market at that time. Yeah, and had had a couple of success uh, successful titles. I yeah. think the Alien vs. Predator was yeah, a that big was, hit. That's one that's considered to be one of the best titles for that system. Yeah. Uh, Tempest 2000. Yep, that was the other one. Was yep. really good. Um, but the controller on it was terrible. Yeah. It was huge, yeah. and it was unwieldy. Um, and, it didn't have a lot of software support. Right. The, the, t- the titles that we just mentioned are pretty much, yeah. I was like, well, beyond that, I can't really justify buying this. Yeah. It says there were 67 games ever released and, um, yeah, that's it. I don't think 67. more than 10 of them registered yeah. on the radar. Oh, you read over the, them and you're just like, well, I, I never heard of this there. That's got to be one of the reasons why this Jaguar Never took off. Yeah, well, and the N64 was just awesome, and they had great yeah. games. And, and then that, uh, you had the PlayStation coming on. Like when Sony starts really throwing down, then it really Atari. Like, this was like a last, like I see Atari in the just reaching for that rope, at the yeah. end of the rope, trying to grab a hold of it. And Nintendo and Sony are just pulling the rope higher. So we haven't talked about Atari games for a little bit. That's the that's the branch that did the arcade versions, yeah. not and also produced some home video under home video games under Tengen. Uh Time Warner Communications, uh, just in case you didn't know, Warner and Time merged in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Just a little bit of a merger. Yeah. Time Warner Communications purchased controlling interest in Atari games. So Atari games would get consolidated with other properties in 1994 and become known as Time Warner Interactive. So Atari games was part of Time Warner Interactive. But this means that part of Atari is back with Warner. Remember, Warner was the one that sold it off. So crazy. So, yeah, uh, Warner had sold it off to Namco. Then employees bought it back from Namco and then... 
Time Warner Communications buys it. And uh, it's just this is why it gets really hard to talk about the end of Atari. Um, and in 1996, another confusing thing, uh, JT Storage, which yeah. was a hard disk manufacturer. JTS. Yeah. JTS merges with Atari Corporation. So this is the home computer one, not yeah. the Atari Games one. So JTS merges with Atari Corporation, but JTS was in a tough spot uh, because it was already it had a cash flow problem. Yeah. And so it was looking for a way to avoid going into bankruptcy and thought that by acquiring Atari, which had lots of cash, but not a whole lot of market share. Because yeah. most of the cash from Atari was actually coming from lawsuits. Like That's sad. You know, they were going after other companies. Yeah. Yeah. So they weren't making money off their products as much as they were off some of the lawsuits. So JTS comes in, acquires Atari, then fires almost all of the former Atari employees and liquidates the remaining Atari inventory as a means of helping stave off this impending disaster, which it did not do. No. Uh, um, two years after that, Hasbro Interactive yeah. um, buys JTS. For five million bucks. Yeah, essentially it bought uh, the Atari Corporation from JTS for five million. JTS actually went bankrupt that year. It essentially bought the Atari name yeah. for five million bucks. Yeah, because at that point there really was nothing left, right? No, because and at this point the name, it's like your uh, your drunk uncle who was uh, he was a big shot in high school. That's what Atari is at this point. Yeah. It's like, you know, stumbling around in the alley, you know, don't you know who I am? And around the same time, to make matters worse, okay, so that that's Atari Corporation, right? Getting acquired for $5 million by Hasbro Interactive. Meanwhile, around that same time, Atari Games was split off from Time Warner Interactive. So it, it didn't stay at Time Warner very long either, like three years, and yeah. then it was gone. It splits off. And is purchased by WMS Industries, which was the parent company, or uh, Williams and Bally Midway. Right. So <laughs> now we're seeing a consolidation of the big names that, you know, uh, 20 years earlier had yeah. been the defining names in, in arcade entertainments. So they purchase Atari Games. Uh, and meanwhile, you've got Hasbro Interactive that's uh, acquired the Atari uh, corporation. So at that point, but then they sold it. Yeah, that's true. But don't get ahead of me. So at that point, <laughs> when when uh, Hasbro gets hold of Atari Corporation, WMS Industries doesn't want confusion. You know, they just purchased Atari Games earlier. Too late. Yeah, yeah, we're already confused. So what they do is they rename Atari Games. Yeah, Atari Games gets renamed into Midway Games West. So yeah. Now, when I talk about Atari games, I'm actually talking Midway Games West. Don't worry, it'll come back around to make sure. things more confusing later. So, yeah, so now we get to 2000. That's when the dot-com bubble bursts. Poor Atari. I know. It man, goes through two bubble bursts, right? <laughs> the video game bubble and then the dot-com yeah. bubble, man. So They probably had, were affected by the real estate bubble in some way, too. Probably. I was affected by the dot-com bubble. I worked for a human resources management consulting firm at the time, and most of our clients were uh, dot-com companies. Oh, really? Yeah. Suddenly, our client list got a lot smaller. Yeah, but look where you are now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I. Big it shot. was a long road, but I, I'm glad I'm here. Uh, so Hasbro, because Hasbro Interactive was hit hard by this dot-com burst. Everyone was. Yeah. Right? I mean, you just had this. It was another market correction sure. that was... That devastated a lot of companies and lives. 
So Hasbro decides to sell off Hasbro Interactive, including the intellectual property from Atari Corporation. Remember, that's the home computing one. Yep. They sell it to a French company that I always misspell because I always think that the name is a typo. Yeah, Infogrames. Yeah. And not Infogames. Yeah, I keep thinking it's Infogames. It's Infogrames. Because it's spelled like Infogames, but with an extra R there, right after the G. Yeah, the French. That was in 2000. Yeah, and uh, so Hasbro Interactive becomes Infogrames Interactive. And in 2003, unless you have anything between 2000 and 2003. No, sir. Oh, thank goodness. So in 2003, Infogrames Interactive is renamed Atari Interactive. Yeah. <laughs> and Infogrames creates a subsidiary called Atari Incorporated, which has its own listing on NASDAQ. Yeah, they still saw value in that Atari name, despite yeah. all the pummeling it took over the years. And keep in mind that by this point, there's nothing left of the original Atari attached to this Atari name. The Atari name is a name and an idea, but it's no longer associated with the original company at all. Yeah. Uh, so the European branch of Infogrames became known as Atari Europe, and Infogrames Australia became Atari Australia. Infogrames UK became Atari UK. Yeah, and there were re-releases of some of the classic games. Yep. Uh, there were some newer games, one called Alone in the Dark in 2008 that oh. was uh, supposed to be pretty good. I never played it. Fantastic. Was it good? Yeah. So they had some successes, but again, that was just confusing because they were... You know, a publisher and a distributor, and they yeah. really didn't really know what they were doing uh, completely with the Atari name. Right. And it, Infogrames in particular was into this like acquisition mania. Like they were, they were buying up properties left and right. Yeah. Which is always a little dangerous. Yeah. Because it, it, it can lead to a lack of focus, which is exactly what happened in this case. I mean, yeah. obviously hindsight tells us that, right? Sure. We wouldn't necessarily know that otherwise, but it is the case. Uh, Midway Games in 2003, Midway Games West, I should say. Right. Remember, the, what used to be Atari, Atari Games, Games, now Midway <laughs> Games West, disbands. So now Atari Games is just a name. In fact, there was a holding company that was still called Midway Games West, but it was just a holding company. There was no, nothing else to it. It was not an office? No. No secretary? No. <laughs> no games coming out of it, nothing. Gotcha. So it only exists as a name, literally, at this point. 2004... Uh, the Atari Flashback launches. Now, the Flashback is a dedicated console with games that are hard-baked into it, so it doesn't use cartridges. It yeah. has a selection of games on it. It, it looked like the 2600, yep. except for some added buttons here and there. Yeah. Um, I bought, I don't know who made it, but I bought, at one point, someone was selling the joystick yeah, alone. Yeah, just plugs directly into the... Uh, yeah, that had the, like 20 games or something on it. Right. Um, and that was, I played the heck out of that thing. Oh, yeah, I did too. I have one of those at home. But in that, fact, I have one of those at home right next to my 55-inch TV. So, <laughs> Not trying to brag or anything. I mean, I realize that almost everyone out there probably has a larger TV, so please don't make me feel badly about myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this... But the flashback did okay. Um, yeah. And, and they it, came out with different versions of that. Exactly, the well. yeah. Like, the first one did not have River 8 in it, so that just did not fly with me. Yeah, but it, it's all for the nostalgia crowd. Yeah. So they came out with uh, models in 2004, 2005, 2010, 2011, and 2012. Different companies would produce it over the years, um, but they were all licensed by Atari. And by Atari, I mean Atari Home Computing, which means uh, Infogrames, as opposed to Midway <laughs> oh, Games man. West, which is Atari Games. What a mess. I know, really. 2005. Okay, seriously, Hasbro, what the heck are you doing? Hasbro yeah. buys back some intellectual property from Atari SA which is the uh, Infogrames 
version, the yeah. home computer version, uh, also known as Atari Inc., as the subsidiary of Atari SA, for $65 million. See, that's what's confusing. Yeah. That's crazy. That Hasbro got out of the game and then literally yeah. got back into it. Yeah. For that much for, money. For $65 million. Yeah, well, clearly, that dot-com bubble scared everybody. Yeah. And then once we started seeing recovery, people wanted to get back into it. The ones that were still around, anyway. Now, now Atari's not your drunk uncle. It's just the abused, like confused. Yeah, doesn't even know which which way is up at this point. This this is the this is the person who's just wandering the street and yeah. talking about how <laughs> you know the trees are convincing him to buy Doritos. Right. That's what this is. That <laughs> now is we're at that point. Yeah. So in 2008, Infogrames offers to buy out Atari Incorporated shares to make Infogrames the sole owner of Atari Incorporated again because they had listed Atari Incorporated on Nasdaq. So they sold shares to other parties, yeah. making it a publicly traded company. But now they're saying, well, we need to fix Atari. Like this, this brand is not doing what we need it to do. We think Which that this brand, anything. yeah, we think this brand could save us. Yeah. Because Infogrames as a whole was having a lot of issues. We want to be able to rebrand ourselves. But in order to do that, we first need to get all of Atari back belonging to us. So they right. offer to buy it out. It's accepted. And Infogrames reacquires Atari uh, completely. So now it totally belongs to Infogrames. Uh, Atari, meanwhile, had acquired another company called Cryptic Studios, which developed a game called City of Heroes. It's an online multiplayer game where you create a superhero. Oh, nice. Um, and you, uh, an original superhero that you can play. It's one that I always wanted to get into, but I never I never had the time to dedicate to those massive online games. Right. And they're monthly subscription-based for... Well, now they're mostly free-to-play, but back then they were all monthly subscriptions. And you were busy creating your own real-life superhero persona. That's true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's an that. alter-ego thing that we need to steer away from. We're going to take a quick break for some messages, but then we'll be back with more of The Rise and Fall of Atari. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed, and I'd be lost without my smartphone. In a new place, it's my connection to the familiar. I rely on it to get directions around town. I use my smartphone to look up things to do or, most importantly, where to eat. 
In countries where I don't speak the language, my phone becomes a universal translator. And heck, it can double as a digital camera, giving me the opportunity to snap unforgettable pictures of the sights that inspire me and fill me with joy. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. A spirit of adventure lives inside of us. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into actual rubber-meets-the-road, into-the-wild, true-blue-real-life adventure. You just need a Nissan and a plan. Or better yet, just a Nissan. You can hop into a Nissan Rogue and discover what comes next. Don't worry, the Nissan Rogue has your back. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. No matter where you roam, you'll stay connected to home. Life is one huge adventure, and every day is a little one. No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. So 2009... Good grief, could this story get more ridiculous? Warner Brothers Entertainment purchases the Midway intellectual property, including the name Atari Games. So for the third time... Warner gets back in the Atari Warner, business. Warner owns something called Atari. Yeah, that is nuts. Three times <laughs> buying and selling. Oh, yeah. I don't know. So meanwhile, Namco Bandai acquires Atari Europe from Infogrames. Uh, Infogrames itself changes its name to Atari SA to create a united company. And it also has the Atari Group, which is a collection of divisions from around the world, like Atari Italia, that kind of thing, um, that still have the Atari brand name. 2010. Here's a name we haven't heard for a while. Bushnell. No, Bushnell. He comes back. Crazy. He, he, he actually, because of an acquisition, ends up on the board of directors for Atari. So uh, Atari Incorporated specifically. So yeah, and the, they brought him back for the, that very reason, right? To sort of get some attention again. I imagine so. Yeah, because th this is again one of those things where you've got the name, but otherwise there's no connection yeah, to that original show. company. But now you've got the guy who founded the company. So right. that's big news, and it definitely did get a lot of people writing about it at the time. Oh yeah. Although. If you look at 2010 to now, you realize not a whole lot has will remind you of the old golden age of Atari. Um, so in 2011, Atari Incorporated sells off Cryptic Studios, the one that they had bought, right. the City Heroes one. And in 2013, Atari Incorporated files for bankruptcy, January 2013. That's right. Oh. So remember, this is the this was formerly Infogrames. Uh, Atari Incorporated was formerly part of Infogrames, now part of Atari SA. Atari Incorporated files for bankruptcy, partly to escape the debt accrued by its parent company. Uh, and in, in an effort to pay off the debt, they attempt to sell off the portfolio of more than 200 video games, but they only received 15 preliminary bids. Really? And none of them approached the price that 
Atari was hoping for, so they don't accept any of them. Instead, they decide they'll sell bits and pieces off rather than right. rather than sell everything off at a price too low. They're going to sell bits and pieces off and try and get themselves through it, and it works. I mean, they sell some stuff, not everything, but they sell some stuff, and then by the end of 2013, they emerge from bankruptcy, December. So like the entire year of 2013, Atari Incorporated is in bankruptcy. The saddest year for Atari. Maybe. It's hard. I mean, there's a lot of competition for that (laughs) that title. Uh, 2014, finally, last year, that's when we have the documentary that we talked about previously, the one that went out to the desert to dig up, to find out if E.T. really was beneath it. The the cartridge, not the character. Yeah, and that kind of resurrected a little bit of interest in Atari again. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of talk about it. There were a lot of people wondering whether or not they were actually going to find anything, or if, if they would just find scraps as opposed to entire cartridges. And as we mentioned in a previous episode, they did find cartridges, so... Um, yeah, the whole story behind that is they manufactured four million cartridges. They were unable to move three and a half million of those. Man. So they had only a couple of choices. Do you store this and hope that you can one day sell it? Because keep in mind, storing stuff costs money, right? You can't. It's not like there's just a magical space. Like yeah. that, th- it's going to occupy space that you would otherwise use for something else. Or do you call it a loss and throw it away? And they chose option number two. Yeah. Uh, and so what's uh, amazing to me about the whole ET debacle is that um, word got. I mean, this is pre-internet, and word yeah. still got around that fast. Yeah. From Johnny telling his neighbor Billy how bad right. it sucked. And Billy telling his neighbor. Right. And yeah. like, it there got around so fast that there they wasn't only sold 500,000 copies. There was no like Kotaku forum or no. something for people to say like, this, this game is all terrible. word of mouth yeah. in cul-de-sacs. Yeah. And, from and, then, and then scoffing over bargain bins at your local toy store. <laughs> um, and so what's going on with Atari now? Well, it's focusing on developing games for social platforms like Facebook and for mobile devices primarily, although they're looking at some other stuff as well, right? Yeah, a former employee named uh, Fred, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, C-H-E-S-N-A-I-S. I believe it's one Chine. of the uh, the French fellows from Infogrom, Chine, perhaps. 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 Uh, he's now the CEO, and he said that he is going to try and be relevant in the PC world again with a few different things, uh, notably uh, gambling. <laughs> yeah, Real casino gambling and just for fun casino gambling. So I think uh, this would be like if you walked into a casino. You know how you see all those licensed uh, slot machines? Yeah. Like Lord of the Rings. That one, by the way, treats me really well, so I love the Lord of the Rings slot machine. But uh, I can see like the centipede slot machine and then incorporate some of the gameplay. They're going to do both. They're going to have a licensing program and they're going to have an actual online casino. Gotcha. uh, Social casino with virtual money. And uh, so the the gambling thing and licensing and games, they said the flashback uh, they're going to keep around. Uh, they have one idea for uh, they're going to create some new IPs. One is for the LGBT community called Pride Fest. Mm. And um, he said they're developing a new Asteroids game that is a PC game where you will actually be surviving on the asteroid itself. <laughs> so... Turn things around a little bit. They're trying. Um, yeah. He thinks that they can uh, capitalize on that Atari name and uh, get it back to relevance again, but I don't know. Yeah, so, you know, it's whether or not we see anything coming out of this division. Also, keep in mind the, the Atari games that was purchased by Warner Brothers Entertainment. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, the story's not necessarily over for Atari, although you could argue that as far as the original company is concerned, that story's been over since the 80s. Yeah, sure. So uh, it, it's an interesting and, and sometimes upsetting story, the rise and fall of the uh, of Atari. And it they also started at all. Yeah. And, and, and there's people I, I remember reading things like, could the video game crash happen again? And if you look, there is a large number of different providers that are all trying to clamor for attention. Now, when we think of consoles, we think Nintendo, Sony and Xbox. Some people would say just Sony and Xbox. They don't even think of Nintendo. Um, but then we have the mobile game market. We yeah. have computers. PC gaming is hitting a resurgence. So, uh, and then there are people like me who hold back from buying current generation consoles because yeah. we don't necessarily see the value in them or the reason to upgrade. Or I was given one by my father-in-law. Yeah. So they, <laughs> I didn't even buy one. we get to that point where we think, you know, it's, po- it is possible. You can't never say that you're too big to fail. Yeah. That's a rookie mistake. Yep. Pride comes before the fall. That is true. So we have uh, completed the story of Atari, but now we've got a little time to talk about some personal reflections Yeah. Uh, beyond the stuff that we've talked about in the previous episode. So, uh, Chuck, what are some of your fond memories of Atari in general? Uh, well, I, buying Pac-Man on yeah. Christmas Day, even so though it stunk. The, the buying was great. <laughs> Yeah, and I actually, man, I actually enjoyed playing it as um, a 12-year-old. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize how bad it stunk at the time. Yeah. Because it was Pac-Man in my house. Um, yeah. And, you know, as a little kid, you're not like, oh, this doesn't look just like it and sound just like it. Uh, I think older kids probably were a little more like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I was young enough to where I enjoyed it. Adventure, like we talked about, man, um, the imagination yeah. of uh, playing adventure. Well, and the fact that they incorporated things like the bat uh, mechanic, which meant that you could never expect the same gameplay experience two times in a row. Yeah. Which was pretty interesting. Like a lot of these games, like the early games, it involved memorizing patterns. And if you memorize the pattern, you could play indefinitely. But that didn't work for games that actually would uh, introduce some sort of element that could at least be perceived as random. Yeah. Uh, River Raid. Fantastic game. Huge game to me that holds up still today. Yeah. It's a good game. I think out of all the the shooter games, that's like by shooter, I mean like you're controlling a ship that's moving around and shooting things. In this case, it's a, it's a jet. Yeah. It's flying over a river. Uh, that one, I I didn't own river raid, but a friend of mine from down the street owned it. And I would go over to his house all the time to play it because it was the one title on Atari that I really wanted, but did not. Well, actually, no, there were two. River Raid and Pitfall. I never owned either of those, but I, I played Pitfall. the heck out of them. Yeah, I think River Raid was the first top scroll game. Yeah. Uh, Pitfall was huge. Uh, and that kind of introduced the platforming uh, yeah. genre of, of video games. Yeah, fantastic. Berserk. I was big into uh, Berserk. Berserk, great and, game. And uh, Warlords. Yeah. Uh, man, I had a ton of... Oh, Frogger. I mean, yeah. I know that was sort of a kid's game, but I, I still like Frogger. I think yeah. it's still challenging. I liked Frogger as well. I remember uh, I had some games that I I wish had been better. Like I had Donkey Kong Jr. That really yeah. was it didn't measure up nearly as well to the uh, arcade version. Uh, I had Popeye, which also didn't oh, yeah. measure up very well to the yeah, arcade version. That kind of stunk. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it was it was like I had a lot of those those games, uh, licensed games and stuff as well. Uh, yeah, I 
I also have really fond memories of arcades. Like, oh, dude, you know, I it, lived in the arcade. <laughs> there were there were times where I would just go to the arcade to, um, you know, spend a dollar or whatever, and you know, you always try and find the game that you figure you're going to get the most value for your money. Right? Yeah. Like, I can play this one for a long time. I'm going to play this one. Um, and luckily, there were also a lot of them made by Atari that were really fun. I mean, Star Wars is still like. I love the Star Wars trilogy game that came out that was modeled after, um, closer after the movies, like with better graphics and everything. But there's still a, a place in my heart for that vector graphics Star Wars game. Uh, and I wasn't kidding when I said that I would actually consider purchasing one of those because that was, um, such an, uh, such a fond memory. Like the two arcade games I went back to over and over were, uh, were Star Wars and Spy Hunter. Oh, yeah. Um, now, Spy Hunter was not an Atari game, but oddly enough, I think Spy Hunter 2 ended up being distributed under Atari, even though Atari had nothing to do with the original Spy Hunter, but that just shows another way that the Atari story makes no sense yeah. when you look at the whole thing. Yeah, and, you know, I hate to sound like the old guy, but um, I'm really thankful that we grew up in that generation. There was something yeah. really special about... Uh, Seeing something invented for us, yeah, uh, right in front of our very eyes, created out of nowhere, mm. like we talked about in I think episode two, when there were three TV stations or right. you know five or six TV stations and crappy handheld games, and it was just it blew my mind, yeah. And I spent a lot of time in the arcade, and the games today are amazing, but the mind blow isn't there like it was back then because it's all building on what happened before it, and this was building on. Out, out of thin air. And it also, I mean, it was an era where a single person could develop a game from beginning yeah. to finish. You know, now we have companies that have entire divisions dedicated to that. It was also an era where people were making weird games, like yeah. weird games that could be a lot of fun, but had nothing to do with it. Like you look at Yars Revenge, I dare you to tell me what that's supposed to be. <laughs> no idea. It is bizarre, but it's awesome. Yeah. And there are a lot of really fun games. Cubert, that were, what the heck was Cubert? Yeah. Huge, <laughs> huge risks, right? Both yeah. in the arcade and in the home video game market. Just people saying, let's create some, a fun experience. It doesn't matter if it quote unquote makes sense or whatever. These days, you look at video games, and a lot of the companies tend to get hung up on creating franchises. They right. want they want to create a title that they can make essentially clones of with modifications. And eventually, a movie. Of, yeah, yeah. And then that way, they have built in a built uh, an audience. They've got all right. These are the people who are our Call of Duty players. Yeah. So let's put out a Call of Duty game every single year. They'll buy it. We we know they'll buy it because they are Call of Duty fans. Yep. As opposed to saying, what kind of cool experience can we create? Which is sort of given rise to the independent developer community. Yeah. So in a way, those early Atari days are very similar to what we see with the independent game community these days, except of course the independent game developers are, are not as, you know, not as organized in a sense. As, they're, they're not under an umbrella like Atari was. Yeah. But other than that, they're they're operating in a very similar way. You look at those early days of Atari, it really did sound a lot like what an internet startup sounds like today. Yeah, it was the Wild West. Yeah. You were defining what you did. Yep. And so there weren't rules because no one had done it before. Very cool know? time. Yeah. Somebody needs, we were talking earlier, somebody needs to get on that Atari movie. Yeah. It'd be a great one. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the possibility of, you know, someone needs to do a documentary about this. Like, 
take this idea of the rise and fall, this three episodes that we have done, um, and really look into it and, and make it a, a, a film to document what happened and explain the processes. And, uh, cause it, it does get so, so convoluted and complex toward the end of its existence. And of course, uh, we could argue that by that time, it's, you know, saying the name Atari is meaningless because yeah. again, it's just a word at that point. Um, which is sad. It, it did have such an important part in my childhood. I mean, Heck I, yeah. I played so much both in the arcade and oh, at yeah. home. Blisters on my hand. On oh, my yeah. Joystick hand. Oh, no. Yeah. You would get like, uh, I remember because of the way I would hold the, the joystick, um, in the, the, in between my thumb and forefinger where I would, I would grip the, the uh-huh. thumbstick. I would have a blister right there. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, it also was one of those things that would frustrate me because I'm a left hander. And so uh, I, I ended up, uh, not built know. for you, my friend. Yeah. I, I, I coped yeah. well enough, but yeah, it was a little, it, it, I guess it kind of helped with my precision of my right hand. Otherwise I, I probably would just be flailing around the office on fire all the time. <laughs> so I thank Atari for that as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny because I never owned, you know, when the Atari crap, uh, video game crash happened. Atari was the only video game console I owned at the time of video game consoles being being built. Like, oh yeah, me too. Right. So I got an Intellivision, but that was after Intellivision had was no longer a thing. Right. That was that was a hand me down. I didn't get a Nintendo. I, I never had a uh, Nintendo. My college roommate had one, so I didn't buy one of those either. Yeah. See, I what I did was I transitioned over to computers, and I got I became one of those snooty computer gamers because. The games on computers were deeper, more sophisticated. Yeah. They, they didn't have the arcadey kind of graphics that dedicated video game consoles could have, but they did have a richer game experience in my mind. And so I became a computer gamer. Now it's funny because now I'm a console gamer again. Yeah. Uh, although I'm now transitioning back to computer gamer. And that's because of, um, services like Steam, which allow me to buy games and have them download directly to my computer. And I don't have to go to a store. I don't have to buy a box. I get the game delivered straight to my computer and I can play it off of there. So it's funny because I keep going back and forth. I went console to PC to console. Uh, In fact, I was console for a long time with the uh, N64, GameCube, the PS2, the PS3, the Xbox, the Xbox 360. I have all of those. And the Dreamcast. I've got a Dreamcast too. I'm thinking back now. I've never bought a console. You've only been given them. The 2600 was Christmas. Uh, my college roommate had uh, the first Nintendo, yeah. had the Super Nintendo. Another college roommate had the 64. My friend in L.A. had the Xbox, who lived next door to me. Well, Chuck, we can't all... And my all... father-in-law bought me the, uh, or gave me the PS3. Not all of us can walk outside and expect consoles <laughs> to rain down from the heavens. I've never bought one. <laughs> it just, just occurred to me. To be fair, uh, some of those were, were gifts to me. Actually, the Dreamcast was given to me after Dreamcast had already folded, and... Uh, uh, my wife bought it like a used Dreamcast, and then we just got like a folder full of games that that came out for it. Nice. By the way, I should do a full episode just on the Dreamcast some point because that was also an amazing system uh, that died unnecessarily. Like it, it was it was kind of like the the Jaguar in that it came out and it was clearly superior to its its uh, competitors in yeah. the space. But because of bad timing and a bad library right. early on, it never took off, at least not to a point that could sustain a company. 
And there you have it, the classic three-part series, The Rise and Fall of Atari. Hope you enjoyed that. Like I said, it was a lot of fun to look into. One of those where, at the time when we were looking into this, we came across lots of different conflicting stories about the history of Atari and who played what role. And there's a lot of of kind of accusations and cross accusations of people misrepresenting things. It made it a bit of a challenge, uh, but it was a lot of fun to, to really talk about. And like I said in the last episode, if you want to hear more, you should check out the more recent episode I did of the video game crash of 1983. That tells some more of the story of Atari that kind of complements what we have gone through with these classic episodes. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes, please reach out to me. Best way to do that is on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health, but by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free... This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.